one of these days, you're going to tell me to clap and I'm going to clap my ass cheeks. <laughs> Good. Yeah. I don't think it'll be loud enough unless you really get it up. There. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? I'm just so- say that about my bodacious <laughs> bottom. <laughs> Can anybody clap their cheeks that loud? I can. Okay. (laughs) There's a lyric that isn't quite coming to my mind, but would be appropriate for this moment. And it's on my gym playlist. And it's something about, it's inappropriate. (laughs) You can't, of all the things that you can't say on a podcast. something about like, my back shots sound like bongos. (laughs) I know. Holy shit. I told you it was inappropriate, and then you encouraged me to say it anyways. <laughs> I mean, it's not like inappropriate, it's just like, what a line. I mean, it is inappropriate, but not anything worse than what we've, you Have know. Have you ever run into me at the gym? I'm listening to the most filthy um, music you've ever heard in your life. If you run into me at the gym, I'm not listening to anything at all because I don't have headphones. That is raw dogging <laughs> the gym. I like just, I, I don't. Uh, is just I think it's the same reason I hate having my back against like facing the door at like a restaurant or a coffee shop sure I just don't like the like I want to be aware of my surroundings fully that's where we differ I don't want to be aware of anything I feel like if someone if I didn't hear somebody coming up behind me I would end up breaking their nose I don't want to know what's going on today at the gym (laughs) I so I've been really brave twice and I've gone and done squats at the squat rack which by the way I assumed it would always be full and there would be a line it's been absolutely empty both times I've been over there yeah at certain times it's yeah fine and I got cramps period cramps yeah major bummer And then I got period cramps again on my next exercise. And then again on my next exercise, it was kind of like every time I did anything. Yeah. I got cramps and then I proceeded to look around at all the men in the gym and just in my head be like, I hate you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. (laughs) You'll never be this strong. (laughs) You'll you'll never be as strong and brave as me. Uh, And then my last exercise, the machine was broken and I literally... I think I skipped to stretch because I was like, well, I'm done. <laughs> the fates have smiled on me. Yeah. And I'm going to go home. That's what whenever my trainer is like, Katie, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Whenever my trainer is like, so now that we're done, do this and this. And if they're full, then I'm like, oopsies. <laughs> but sometimes like last time she asked me to do <laughs> um, some, some like push-ups like wall push-ups or something and so I just went and got my Jimmy John's and then did them on my kitchen island between bites of Jimmy John's I support that I feel like today God just didn't want me to have strong inner thighs yeah and he said those inner thighs are strong enough Mm -hmm. and I said whatever you say big dog (laughs) you're right we're gonna call it quits today i'm strong enough (laughs) and i and my my tummy was hurting really bad i also like one thing about me when i get my period is that i often get the urge to just throw up like very suddenly (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in my head, like, my internal monologue is something that, like, should be recorded for science. But I was, like, doing an exercise. And then I had this, like, oh, my God, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> in my head, I, like, went to go say to myself, Sarah, we've never thrown up from cramps. But 
I have. So, so I was like, I've only thrown up in my head to myself. So I didn't like panic. I was like, times. I've only thrown up from cribs two, three times in my life. Surely. We're today not going to do not it here. Day. <laughs> in public. Yeah. With There's this little gaggle of, of, of boys that, um, men, they're grown men. Boys. Um, but they're boys that they all work out together in a circle. <laughs> it's so cute. And they're like lifting. We talked about this they're on like the last tea. one, I think, where we were talking about how how cute the gym is. They're like, teehee, we're all working out all together the bro in a circle. And they're, but they're all really handsome and they're standing right in front of me. They're yeah. handsome in like a, they're very um, husbandable. Yeah. Handsome. They're not like the, the really attractive gym bro men that are like huge. They're like, would you like to be the father of my child? Yeah. Handsome. They were all standing right in front of me and I almost threw up. Mm-hmm. I almost <laughs> ejected both ways. I didn't. I finished my little exercises. God smiled on me with the other machine broken and then I... It's because you called place. him Big Dog in your head. God loves that. <laughs> so, sometimes I call him Big Dog. Sometimes I call him Baby Girl. The Christians you call him... Uh, Daddy Dad. <laughs> Smite. He's going to be like, Zach. The Christians that call him Daddy God, I think they have to be joking. They're not. I but really wish. They I hope were. they are. Daddy. I really wish it's, they wait. Were. Okay. Hold on. I have a small piece of trash talk. I went to church camp with a girl who like is a professional church camp now. Like she is leads worship. At, <laughs> she like leads worship at a church. Mm-hmm. Lovely human being. I'll preface by saying that. <laughs> But she posted, I think it was either she, I think she wrote this lyric to a worship song and posted it. And it was literally like, come inside me and move in me. And I was like, okay. So many. Here's the thing. (laughs) Have we considered that not all Christians should be virgins? Because because they are so horny and they don't even know it. I look, I will stand by the fact that 90s and early 2000s Christian music was peak and it has gone downhill ever yeah. since. Because the old stuff that I remember slapped. don't, yeah, slapped. We've, I think we've like burst out in like Family Force 5 Ugh, like just several the times day. in the last week. 10 point, 10.0 on the Richter, Richter scale, scale shaking like an earthquake, move that tail. Or get your back off the wall, get your back off the wall, or get they, your back off the wall. This isn't Family Force 5. What does that have to God? They don't serve breakfast in hell. I never heard that. Newsboys, maybe. Never I loved that. listening to that with the Jeep top off on our way to Keller's, like a drive in burger joint when I was wow. little. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's gone downhill and become much like for, more full of like innuendos ever since. Yeah, but they don't know it. Or Mary Mary, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. You ever heard, Mary, did you know (laughs) that your baby boy (laughs) will one day walk on water? Did you know that your baby boy... Anyways, I... (laughs) I was in a musical... I was in a musical in church <laughs> when I was a kid, and uh-huh. what was it called? Uh, a baby changes everything. <gasps> I re- yes, I remember that. A baby she cries. Oh, 
<laughs> she cries. Oh my god, I ate that shit up. And my mom still has like eight DVDs of it. And she, for Amazing. many years, anytime anyone walked through our front door, she was like, "I have to show you the entire feature length <laughs> film of my daughter in A Baby Changes Everything." It wow. was the lowest quality production you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. Um, and I had to hold a real baby. Oh, yeah. There was a real baby Jesus. Crushed it. You know all those. <laughs> you know all those high school boys in my church were like, <laughs> "That could be my, my baby wife, one day." Wife Wiper. I was in one singular play. Well, yeah. I think I was in drama class in high school at some point, but I don't really remember anything about that. But I remember in elementary school, I was in one single play, and uh, I. It was about trees? Question mark. <laughs> what like, was it about? <laughs> it was something Christiany, but like in the form of us being trees. Sure. And I had one line, and it was, "No, not me. I'm over the hill." Love it. Because there's a lumberjack yeah. who was like trying to find trees to chop down. Yeah, a little. Pun. And I was like, "Ah." I'm the old tree. <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure Hannah was in that play the next time the school did it, and she had the exact same part with the exact same wow. line. Yeah. I, and that was it. <laughs> I once ruined a school production because I got the giggles for the entire play. And I had lines. I was like, ma, I don't know. I think I was like a role. Yeah. I don't, I don't really remember. I just remember my friend who was pa. <laughs> he like... <laughs> Was supposed to come in and, like, he had fake snow on the brim of his hat, like, uh-huh. cut up paper, and he was supposed to, like, shake it off. I was, like, seven, by the way. <laughs> he walks onto stage, and he, like, messed it up. Like, we had practiced it a million times. He, like, messed it up, and all this paper just literally, like, all at once dumps off his hat. And I don't know why. Under that spotlight, I just, like, probably no one else thought anything of it. It was just the way it fell to me was like, I can't do this anymore. And I giggled through the rest of the play. Uh I don't think I got a single one of my lines because I was giggling. And then I was making everyone else giggle. You know, it was Mm. just (laughs) me. Yeah. Hi, I'm Maggie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Mad Mad Woman in the Attic. Ho, 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 Let's, Let's go, go girls. girls. Okay, we were just talking about, before we talked about God, <laughs> before we talked about Daddy God, a.k.a. Big Dog, a.k.a. Baby Girl, <laughs> we were talking about my... <laughs> we were talking about my period cramps. <laughs> um, and I am currently birth controlled, so my period cramps have been better, but I historically Good. have um, probably um, something called PMDD, which I have uh-huh. talked to several doctors about. And yeah, what did you send me a couple days ago, Maggie? <laughs> this is your new hobby. Pull my new hobby show. is just sending people <laughs> pictures of the... Um, page that I think is most relevant to their mental illness. <laughs> yeah. Diagnosing my friends. I was just minding my Look, own business. I'm halfway through my master's degree. I'm allowed to do that now. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah, I sent you the page for the PMDD yeah. page. We also went through a group of us were at a brewery the other day and Maggie's <laughs> flipping through <laughs> reading everyone what she thinks they have. She opens up to ADHD. Everyone at the table just starts ripping into me. <laughs> It's like, okay. I did rip into myself, to be fair, though. Yeah, I did, did, like, read bipolar and All borderline ones. Yeah, and then Beard took it and was, like, reading the depression list out loud. And he's like, hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is um, ethically questionable for me to be diagnosing um, 
my friends. But... I think it's a funny hobby to have. It's kind yeah. of like how you read everyone's horoscopes to them. Right. Yes. Except more scientific. It's similar to that. Yeah. Is it? Mental health? Yeah. Is it more scientific than the stars? I can say that with confidence because I do enjoy both. <laughs> but I can't admit which one is Whereas more rooted I in actual neither. science. <laughs> but kidding. I did start adding in all my little tabbies. Wow, that's a lot of tabbies. Yeah, I'm They're only so halfway through. Neat. My back started hurting <laughs> How'd you throw out your back? Well, I was putting tabbies on my DSM. Five TR, to be specific. <laughs> yeah, my back had already been hurting because I uh, did hurt it this weekend, potentially by Throwing limboing. Ass? Oh, limboing. I forgot about that. <laughs> I had literally, my trainer, Katie, um, I had literally just sent her uh, real that is like the friend whose life is chaos and it's this guy who's like oh my god you'll never believe what just happened it's no big deal but like my car just got stolen and you know <laughs> all that, that kind of stuff and I sent it to her because that's what it I was like this is me every time I come into training because like yeah. that day I was late because my oil change ran late like it's just like every single time yeah. there's something else and so that like had happened I'm and then, also that friend yeah <laughs> and then yesterday I texted her right before my training and I was like <laughs> so next installment of Maggie's chaotic life is that I may or may not have hurt my back by limboing beneath a conveyor belt yeah. at a brewery. We were getting so, a tour of a brewery at a birthday party. I have somewhat of a core now. I can limbo. And then at the end of the night, my back started seizing up and I started curling around um, and I couldn't stop it. And so, and she said she uh, so like fun. quite literally laughed out loud because it was like, of course, like, it's not just that I hurt my back. It's that I heard it by limboing under a, a conveyor belt in a silly way yeah we Twice. should not be allowed in like areas where you're not allowed to Public. touch things because we we're getting a tour it was maggie's sister was giving us a tour with one with two of our other friends yeah everyone else is just minding their own business and we're touching every single thing on this conveyor belt Oopsies. Oopsie. Sorry, yeah. we won't name what brewery just in case we get in trouble. Just in case <laughs> we did break something. Oops. I gotta set this down or I'm gonna just start smelling it. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a whiff. <sighs> in case nobody could tell, Maggie is a giant nerd. <laughs> Don't be fooled by her split hair <laughs> and her tattoos. <laughs> She's a giant fucking nerd. Dork. <laughs> I can. I felt extra nerdy recently because I have been talking anybody's ear off who will listen about, about Baldur's, Baldur's Gate. Gate. <laughs> <laughs> you Even my brother-in-law like has been playing it, Charlie. And we were at same same evening at yeah. the, at the brewery, and um, I started talking about it, and I was like, "Have you seen this person's fan art?" And he's like, "I don't really." I'm not that <laughs> deep into oh, it. And you're like, oh, oh. okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, me, me either. Ooh, you mean you're not reading um, fan, fan fiction? fiction? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I look I way cooler than about I am. <laughs> you're trying so hard to trick all of us, but I know. And now the people know too. Yeah. Okay. Should we get into the story today? It's yeah. a fun one. <laughs> I'm excited. Ho, ho. <laughs> Rewind. Okay. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah, Lu- Luna is looking at me like, the Y'all fuck? Fucking insane. Yeah, Luna's back Pot is dog. injured. Her back is injured. She also limboed under a conveyor belt. <laughs> I don't know how. And we were like, Luna, you're too old for that. <laughs> Stop giggling at me. We will... <laughs> <laughs> I was ready. I would have made you it. You were giggling with your eyes. Story time. That was so hard. <laughs> but yeah, I was. did it. I'm so proud of myself. That's okay. She said. I have a very serious intro. Okay. That I cannot giggle through like okay. my seven-year-old school play. <laughs> Don't be pa, okay? <laughs> and make me giggle. <sighs> the lights go down on New Amsterdam Theater. The bustling showgoers have long cleared out. The theater staff have carefully swept each row and aisle. As the last employee prepares to lock up, he turns to look at the empty theater, the stage illuminated only by the ghost light. But he isn't alone. A beautiful, dark-haired woman stands center stage, adorned in an emerald green beaded dress and clutching a small blue bottle in her hand. Her lips part into a coquettish smile as she meets the gaze of the closer. But he doesn't startle. Instead, he nods at the woman, turns on his heels, and whispers, Good night, Olive, as he crosses the threshold out onto 42nd Street. I got chills, they're multiplying. (laughs) (laughs) This is the story of the life and afterlife of Olive Thomas. I love ghosts. I know. So we haven't done a ghost in a while. I know. And this one is fun because her life was actually very cool too. <laughs> so we can talk all about it. Yes. Born Oliva R. Duffy in Charleroi, Pennsylvania on October 20th, 1894. Olive Thomas was the oldest of three children. She grew up in a working class Irish family in a small town, Pennsylvania, with two younger brothers, both of whom later served in the Marine Corps. Side note, she later, like when they got out of the Marine Corps, she was the one who got them jobs on film crews, Mm. which I love that like, yeah. Their sister. older sister was like, Looks oh, out. I'll get you a job. Mm-hmm. Um, her father, James Duffy, was a steel worker, which is very Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Very Pennsylvania of him. Mm-hmm. But he did die in a work-related accident in 1906. <sighs> very steel worker of him. Yeah. <laughs> After his death, Olive's family relocated to a small mill town called McKee's Rocks to be closer to her grandparents. And her mother, Rena, worked in a local factory to support the family after um, her father's death. And Olive, during that time, often stayed with her brothers at her grandparents' house. So her brothers were still quite young. I think she was like over 10, but her brothers would have been pretty young when their dad died. Mm -hmm. Um, Rena eventually remarried Harry M. Van Kirk, a Pittsburgh and... Lake Erie, shout out to Lake Erie, that's where I'm from, railroad worker, um, and they had one additional child together, Harriet, in 1914, but she mysteriously died in a crazy car accident in 1931. This family is... (laughs) Cursed. Yeah. Yeah. Very Kennedy-esque. Yeah, they have them, and it was kind of like, whoa, that's a lot of weird, mysterious deaths Uh in one family. Mm -hmm. A few years after Olive's father's death, she leaves school early at the age of 15 to help support her family, and she gets a job in a department store making $2.75 per week, which is the equivalent of only like $90 today. So, So not very good. And in 1911, she gets married at the age of 16 to Bernard Krug Thomas. That's where she takes his name. Not only are you getting married at 16, but you're getting married at 16 to a Bernard. Mm. 
Yeah. Bummer. Yuck. We only like Bernie. (laughs) She continues to work at department stores throughout their marriage. They end up separating two years later. I could not find details about her marriage to this guy. Like exactly what happened, but she was granted a divorce on September 25th, 1915 on the grounds of desertion and cruelty. Not only did you get married at 16, not... But you also got married to Bernard, and Bernard is also abusive. Cruelty. He's cruel. However, Bernard claimed that the demise of their marriage was due to her ambition and a desire to both obtain a life of luxury and improve her station. So, like... How dare she? (laughs) There's accounts of, like, even when she's younger, like, she does not come from a wealthy family. She's from, like... Like, the town she was born in is, like, a suburb of Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. But, like, at the time, I think would have been, like, small towny feels. Mm-hmm. But she, like, always wanted more for herself. She was, mm-hmm. like, very aspirational, you yeah. know, like, always wanting Love more it. and to do bigger things with her life. Mm-hmm. And um, she was very, very, very beautiful. So maybe she knew, even when she She's was like, younger, I've that, like, potential. she could <laughs> yeah. go the distance. Mm-hmm. Because she was very go beautiful. Go the distance. But Bernard, big dummy Bernard <laughs> was like, ew, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was probably terrible to ambition? her. Yeah. Gross. So after their separation, Olive moves to New York City. <laughs> Love it. Um, she lived with a family member and continued working at department stores, like her first couple of years there to support herself. While working at a department store in Harlem, she's around age 20 at this time, Olive enters and wins the most beautiful girl in New York City contest held by Howard Chandler Christie, who was a commercial artist in New York at the time. Wow. And this, like, kicks off her career as an artist model. Um, And so she would pose for, like, painters. And she later poses for Harrison Fisher, Raphael Kirchner, Penryn Stanlaus, and Haskell Coffin. I hadn't heard of any of them, but Mm -hmm. if you're into artists, you might know them. The first two sound familiar to me. And so she was uh, like a, she would pose for mm-hmm. for people. She was even featured on many magazine covers, including the Saturday Evening Post. Mm. And word of her beauty starts to like circulate in New York City. She becomes kind of like well known for being really beautiful. I feel like she's kind of like the, I don't know. Yeah. The Hadids. Yeah. Of her time. Right. Kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. where you're really like known for being mm-hmm. a model. And she ends up landing a job as a dancer for the famous Ziegfeld Follies in 1915. So the Follies were a series of lavish reviews, which are kind of like um, a mix of like later Broadway shows and more elaborate like high class vaudeville variety shows. Mm-hmm. And they were performed at the famous New Amsterdam Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, they often featured, like, the biggest stars of the age, but they were very well known for their beautiful chorus girls. Mm-hmm. And I think they actually started, like, you'll see in older movies, you know, like, the chorus girls that are, like, up a staircase and, yeah. you know, like, they're just kind of, like, in these crazy elaborate costumes. The and, Rockettes. Yeah, kind of like the Rockettes. Like, this kind of started that. Okay. Um, so they're kind of like that showgirl-esque mm-hmm. where they're not doing, like, crazy dancing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of more, like... Pizzazz. Yeah. Exactly. Pizzazz. Pizzazz. 
<clears throat> so they were kind of known for that. As a Ziegfeld girl, she performed in one of their more risque shows, which was called The Midnight Frolic. The frolic was staged after hours in the roof garden of the New Amsterdam Theater. It was primarily a show for famous male patrons who had plenty of money to bestow on the beautiful young female performers. Thomas received expensive gifts from her admirers, and it was rumored that um, German ambassador Albrecht von Bernstorff had given her a $10,000 string of pearls. So there's, like, lots of rumors around these yeah. girls where, like, you know, it kind of, like, makes yeah. you wonder what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, they had so many men in love with them. So she had lots of suitors mm -hmm. who were, like, obsessed with her. You yeah. know, she was kind of, like, famous for being, like, beautiful and sexy. Mm -hmm. Um, during her time in the Follies, Thomas has an affair with Florence Ziegfeld, of which the Ziegfeld Follies is named. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ziegfeld was married to actress Billy Burke at the time and reportedly had many affairs with the Ziegfeld girls. E. Who's surprised? Mm -hmm. No one. Um, but Thomas ended the affair with Ziegfeld after he refused to leave his wife for her, which I kind of love that yeah. she was just like, okay. Yeah. Bye. And then she moves on to bigger and better things. Right. In, 19, in 1916, Olive landed a movie contract with the International Film Company and made her on-screen debut in episode 10 of Beatrix Fairfax, which was a film serial. Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of like kicks off her career as a silent film star. Mm -hmm. um, in 1917, she made her full-length feature debut in a movie called A Girl Like That. And she appeared in more than 20 films over the course of her four-year career. So she was busy that's yeah. like average five a year plus mm -hmm. i think she did other like shows and stuff yeah, wow so shortly after her film career takes off news breaks that she's engaged to actor jack pickford but they had actually already been married for a year when this oh. news breaks so she kept she wanted to keep their marriage a secret because mm -hmm. jack was an actor himself but he was the younger brother of one of the most famous silent film stars mary pickford and Olive didn't want people to credit her success to her association with the family. Right. Um, because they were already really well established and mm -hmm. she wanted people to think that she like made it on her own, which she did. Mm -hmm. Although she might have gotten a little bit of a boost. Yeah. Olive actually eloped with Jack, her husband, on October 25th, 1916 in New Jersey. In Jersey. New Jersey. Um, and none of their family was present. Actor Thomas Megan was their only witness. Uh, and the couple never had their own children. Um, but in 1920, they adopted Olive's six-year-old nephew, which was the son of one of her brothers after his mother died. And I pulled a couple quotes of like what people at the time said about their relationship that kind of gives you a good window. Um, so screenwriter Francis Marion uh, said once, I had seen her often, her Olive, at the Pickford home, for she was engaged to Mary's brother Jack. Two innocent-looking children, they were the gayest, wildest brats who ever stirred the stardust so on Broadway. <laughs> Both were talented, but they were much more interested in playing the roulette of life than in concentrating on their careers. So they're very young, they have money, they have success, they have fame, they're very attractive, and they're just kind of like socialite. Living their best life. Yeah, little, yeah. a little cuckoo bananas. Mm -hmm. And Mary Pickford, in her 1955 autobiography called Sunshine and Shadow, wrote, 
I regret to say that none of us approved of the marriage at the time. So she's talking about Jack's family. Mother thought Jack was too young and Lottie and I felt, Lottie is his other sister, I think. I felt, Lottie and I felt that Olive being in musical comedy belonged to an alien world. Ollie had all the rich, eligible men. So I thought it was interesting. That's the only time I had heard her referred to as Ollie. Yeah, it's cute. That was her nickname. I know, so cute. Ollie had all the rich, eligible men of the social world at her feet. She had been deluged with proposals from her own world of the theater as well, which was not at all surprising. The beauty of Olive Thomas is legendary. The girl had the loveliest violet blue eyes I have ever seen. They were fringed with long, dark lashes that seemed darker because of the delicate, translucent pallor of her skin. I could understand why Florence Ziegfeld never forgave Jack for taking her away from the Follies. She and Jack were madly in love with one another, but I always thought of them as a couple of children playing together. Mm-hmm. So even though they're in their 20s, like a lot of people described them as kids mm-hmm. and kind of like reckless. Of their like behavior. Irresponsible. Yeah. yeah. Olive eventually signs with Triangle Films where she mm-hmm. shoots her most successful and meaningful films, or at least like uh, at that time, it was her most successful to date. Mm-hmm. And she claimed that her role in Toton the Apache was the first real thing she'd ever done. I think that was the one she played like a French girl that was posing as a boy. And mm. it was like the first work that she felt was like real and meaningful. Theater. Yeah. Yeah. And her final film with Triangle was called The Follies Girl, which mm-hmm. I didn't read into too much about, but I imagine was sort of similar to what she did mm-hmm. in The Follies. Um, after leaving Triangle, Thomas signed with Myron Selznick's Selznick Picture Company in December 1918. She got a salary of 2500 a week. Nice. Um, and when she switched... 2500 Yeah. Wow. A lot. A week. Yeah. She was a rich bitch at this time. Yeah. <laughs> Considering... So- yeah, and I think that was like at that week. time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tons of money. A lot of money. And she, when she signed with this new film company, she was hoping for more serious roles. This was where Jack was signed, and she was hoping that both of them being signed to the same company might give her more pull for the roles she wanted, mm-hmm. um, and that she would have like more influence with the producers. Uh, her first film with this company was called Upstairs. Upstairs and Down uh, came out in 1919 and proved successful and established her image as a baby vamp, which is kind of like young and se- sexy baby. It's what Taylor Swift would call sexy baby. Can you relax? She's like, no, no, I can't. Um, which it's not like this is pre-pinup girls, but mm-hmm. it kind of like makes me think of like Marilyn Monroe's image. Yeah. Where even as she got older, sh- her image was very like young yeah. baby girl. Mm-hmm. type image. And it's interesting a lot of people remember Olive as a flapper. I think it's because of her 1920s film called The Flapper. Mm. So she was the first actress to portray a lead character who was a flapper, and the mm-hmm. film was the first of its kind to portray the flapper lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So she was kind of this first public image mm-hmm. of like the flapper girl, and I think that kind of followed her even though it wasn't necessarily right. her. A little bit of a typecast. Yeah. So Francis Marion, who wrote, wait, oh, who wrote The Flapper, was responsible for bringing the term into the American vernacular. Mm. So the film was like really pivotal with that whole like concept. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it was very popular and it became one of Thomas's most successful films. Um, and on October 4th, 1920, Thomas's final film, Everybody's Sweetheart, was released one month after her death. Wow. Yeah. In September of 1920, so one month prior to that, Jack and Olive went to Paris for a second honeymoon. It was said at the time that their marriage was a bit tumultuous mm -hmm. and that they had both been extremely busy working and traveling for work and hadn't had a lot of time to connect with each other. And this trip was kind of like their way of doing that, but they yeah. were also uh, prepping for their next projects mm -hmm. while they were there. But a little bit of uh, dispute on like what the reasoning was, and we'll get into why later. So on the night of September 5th, 1920, Olive and Jack went out for a night of partying and entertainment at the famous bistros in the Montparnasse quarter of Paris. Montparnasse. Montparnasse. <laughs> Montparnasse. <laughs> uh, quarter of Paris. So they yeah. returned to their suite in the Hotel Ritz around three o'clock in the morning. Jack claims that he went to bed, but there are some reports from people in the hotel who saw him kind of like storm out of their room really like in the wee hours of the morning, but it's like the middle of the night. So there's not a lot of people like roaming the halls of this hotel, mm -hmm. but apparently he, like some people saw him storm out. It seemed like they were fighting. They could hear her like hysterically crying in the room. It was like lots of drama and they were kind of known for doing this. So it's yeah. not outlandish to think mm -hmm. that they would be having this like huge blowout fight mm -hmm. in the middle of a hotel at three o'clock in the morning and screaming at each other. That was kind of their thing. And they had been drinking so, like, you know, yeah. it was a little messy. It was, like, a messy situation. But he mm -hmm. claims that he was asleep or, ha or had at least gone to bed. Yeah. Intoxicated and tired, Olive ingests a bottle of mercury bichloride solution, which was a topical medication that had been prescribed to Jack to treat his syphilis. <laughs> wow. Wow. So there's lots of accounts of what happened, why she did that. I'm going to start with Jack's verbatim account. He wrote this for like a newspaper as like his take on what happened. Yeah. So Jack says, we arrived back at the Ritz Hotel at about three o'clock in the morning. I had already booked airplane seats for London. We were going Sunday morning. Both of us were tired out. We both had been drinking a little. I insisted that we had better not pack then, but rather get up early before our trip and do it then. I went to bed immediately. She fussed around and wrote a note to her mother. She was in the bathroom. Suddenly she shrieked, my God. I jumped out of bed, rushed toward her and caught her in my arms. She cried to me to find out what was in the bottle. I picked it up and read poison. It was a toilet solution and the label was in French. I realized what she had done and sent for the doctor. Meanwhile, I forced her to drink water in order to make her vomit. She screamed, oh my God, I'm poisoned. I forced the whites of eggs down her throat, hoping to offset the poison. Where did he get the eggs? That's a great question. And he had time to crack them open and just take the whites out? <laughs> He's just in the corner like... I mean, it is the Ritz. <laughs> you know. So he just sends to the kitchen. I, I can't tell you only. what's in the mini fridge of a Ritz, <laughs> but maybe it's eggs. <laughs> so the doctor comes, the doctor came, he pumped her stomach three times while I held Olive. 
9 o'clock in the morning, I got her to the newly hospital where doctors Choate and Wharton took charge of her. They told me she had swallowed bichloride of mercury in an alcoholic solution, which is 10 times worse than tablets. She didn't want to die. She took the poison by mistake. We both loved each other since the day we married. The fact that we were separated months at a time made no difference in our affection for each other. She even was conscious enough the day before she died to ask the nurse to come to America with her until she had fully recovered, having no thought she would die. She kept continually calling for me. I was beside her day and night until her death. The the physicians held out hope for her until the last moment, until they found her kidneys paralyzed. Then they lost hope, but the doctors told me she had fought harder than any patient they ever had. She held on to her life as only one case in 50. She seemed stronger the last two days. She was conscious and said she would get better and go home to her mother. It's all a mistake, darling Jack, she said, but I knew she was dying. She was kept alive only by hypodermic injections during the last 12 hours. I was the last one she recognized. I watched her eyes glaze and realized she was dying. I asked her how she was feeling and she answered, pretty weak, but I'll be all right in a little while. Don't worry, darling. Those were her last words. I held her in my arms and she died an hour later. Owen Moore was at her bedside. All stories and rumors of wild parties and cocaine and domestic fights since we left New York New York are untrue. It's really sad. Super sad. So uh, he he said that the bottle said poison. I think in French it's spelled like poison in English. So that's I had many questions when mm. I read this account of Jack. I think it will make more sense for me to go through the rest of what happened, okay. like the rest of the account Before of her I death. Ask questions, and then we can talk about his okay. account because mm-hmm. I have many questions and concerns. Okay, so I'll. Yeah, also he said it was a toilet solution, and it was literally his medication. Yeah, that was the other question I had. Like, he would recognize it. Yeah. Okay, so Olive died in the hospital five days after ingesting Jack's syphilis medication, which brought on acute nephritis, or inflation, inflammation of the kidneys. So her death was ruled an accident, officially. Authorities claim that Thomas thought the flask contained either drinking water or a sleeping tonic. So, like, she might have just picked it up and not realized what it was. And she, like, genuinely, according to Jack and witnesses and the doctors, like, she seemed genuinely surprised that she had taken something once she started to, like, feel the effects of the Mm -hmm. poison. Um, And the medication's label was in French, Um, which may have added to her confusion, especially since she was intoxicated. Mm -hmm. However, the bizarre nature of her death was highly speculated by the press and is considered one of the first major Hollywood scandals. Some papers reported that Thomas had attempted suicide after having a fight with Jack over his alleged infidelities. Others said she attempted suicide after discovering he had given her syphilis. There were also rumors that Thomas was plagued by a drug addiction and that she and Jack had been involved in champagne and cocaine orgies, which is what he references at the end of his take when he's, Mm -hmm. like, dispelling the rumors. There was also a rumor that Jack tricked her into drinking poison in an attempt to murder her to collect her insurance money. Owen Moore, who was referenced as being at her bedside, Mm -hmm. um, accompanied both of them on their trip to Paris. He also denied the rumor, saying that Thomas was not suicidal on the trip and that she and Jack had not fought that evening, mm-hmm. um, which kind of doesn't align with what people at the hotel who, like, didn't know them and wouldn't have a personal interest in them. Mm-hmm. And there's one other – okay, there's one other thing. No, no, no. I'm going to pause now. <laughs> okay, so Jack's account of things. 
the first thing thing that's shady is he says, I went straight to bed and she but she was puttering about in the bathroom. Yeah. But like people at the hotel saw him storm out of their room. So it's like, did you go to bed? And if you went straight, if you're drunk and go straight to bed, like, how do you even know what she's doing? Yeah. Like, how do you even know she's writing a letter to her mom? And why is she writing a letter to her mom in the bathroom? Yeah. You know? Weird. That's my first question. Mm -hmm. He says, she screams. He rushes over to her and he checks the bottle and it says poison. That's what his written account says, that the bottle said poison. And that he realizes it's a toilet solution, like a cleaning solution. First of all, why does a cleaning solution say poison? Yeah, unless you're reading the fine print and it says toxic, do not ingest. Right, like maybe he meant... But not big. Yeah, like maybe he meant that it said like, it had like a poison warning on it. Right. But he says that it was a toilet solution. Which it like, also would be in a specific type of bottle that absolutely would not look like something you would eat. No. Even back then. No, and especially, like, with the investigation, I think they took into account, like, what she said to the doctors afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it said that she thought it was, like, a tonic, like, a sleeping solution, which would be more in, like, a pharmaceutical. Yeah. Not a cleaning product. And if it's his, he would – it was his prescription. Like, they went in their room afterwards. It was his prescription. Right. You're telling me you pick up your own prescription and you think – Oh my god, it's a toilet product. Unless like uh, unless like I'm reading the words wrong and toilet solution means like a pharmaceutical. Right. But I don't think it does. No. And like I'm just thinking like if you screamed and I ran into the bathroom and you said I just drank this and it's my medication and I know it's poisonous to consume, the way he described his thought process is not what would happen in your brain. No. So that I thought was shady. Yeah. And then he's like, I forced her to drink water. I forced her to eat egg whites so that she would throw up. Why would water make you throw up? Yeah, like, like Yeah, like, put your finger on. down her throat. That's what I would do. She would even, at that point, I think, still be able to do that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if you chug a lot of water, it would be easier to throw up mm-hmm. and do that. But you would still have to do that. Like, when I've had a lot of, like alcohol even if it's not drunk it's like okay it's just the volume is like what makes it so easy to kind of get that out of your system yeah but still but But she had already been drinking like she would already have that yeah because they'd been out all night drinking yeah so that confused me yeah and then it's like he just had a lot of lines that were like we were so in love she's calling out for me i'm by her bedside table that just were like red flags to me sorry jack there were red flags to me Mm -hmm. because it's like this feels like all about you and how great of a husband you are you know Mm -hmm. so those were my red flags from his account yeah that's not saying he killed her yeah or whatever it's just curious questionable yes sounds questionable to me sounds questionable is this water sanitary (laughs) looks questionable to me okay audience name that movie what is that from (laughs) hold on sounds looks questionable to me water sanitary is it a pixar no it's cartoon though animated disney Mm -hmm. mulan Emperor's New Groove? What is it? Tarzan. Oh! Man, what a good film. It's the elephant. You'll be in my heart. Okay. So Olive did leave 
did not leave a will upon her death. Mm. Her estate, which was later valued at $27,000, equivalent to about $400,000 in 2022, so a little more oh, than $400,000. That's actually 000. less than I would have expected. Well, I think she might have blown a lot. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was split between her mother, her two brothers, and her husband. But Jack later relinquished his right to a portion of the money, choosing instead to give his share to Thomas's mother, to Olive's mother, Rena. Look, that sounds like a good thing, but it sounds like you're trying to get people on your side. Well, and also he was already wealthy. murder investigation open. You know, like he was wealthy. I think that's the one thing, like, I don't know that he, like, murdered her. Yeah. Because it was, like, to get her insurance money, to get her money. It was, like... Yeah. He didn't really need it. Yeah, unless he just wanted to be rid of her. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't necessarily, like, but the motive like doesn't have to be they weren't together that often. Like, that's why there was so much speculation around them. Is like, yeah. at the time, for him to have this big career and yeah. her to also have a big career mm-hmm. and them not be able to, like, cross paths that often was, like, people would be much more critical of her about that. Yeah. That, like, she wasn't willing to give up some of her success. Yeah. Which we saw from her from a very young age. Yeah. Well, maybe it was more like a crime of passion in the moment thing, not premeditated. I don't know. I know, like, they were in a fight. Yeah. 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 And And then maybe he regretted it after. He's acting guilty. Yeah. You know? Like, Mm -hmm. he feels bad. Yeah. That's my take on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on November 22nd, 1920, most of Olive's personal property was auctioned off in an estate sale. And many like big names in the industry actually like bought her things mm-hmm. um, to remember her by probably. So Louis Selznick, if you remember, he was like the big producer of mm-hmm. the last company. It was the company she was um, working with yeah. when she died. Mm-hmm. Um, he bought her town car. For an undisclosed sum. Um, And then Mabel Norman, who was another, like, big silent film actress, bought a 20-piece toilet set, which I think would probably be more like a vanity vanity tray. I think it would be that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. A 14 – she also bought a 14-karat gold cigarette case and a three-piece of jewelry, including a sapphire pin. So she bought a lot of her, like, little knickknacks to – I think they were friends. Yeah. Um, And then one thing she's, like – remembered by now is a painting done by Alberto Vargas, who was Florence Ziegfeld's artist in residence. Mm -hmm. So if you remember, that's the guy she had an affair with while Mm -hmm. she was a folly girl. He painted, so Alberto Vargas, (laughs) he painted many stars of the Ziegfeld stage, um, but he made a portrait of her after her death, mm-hmm. he painted her from memory and titled it The Memory of Olive Thomas or The Lotus Eater. Ooh. Um, and Lotus Eater was a reference to the Lotus Eaters of Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. And the portrait depicts her naked, mm-hmm. like from the waist up. Mm-hmm. And she it says in the description that she's covering her boobs, but her titties are out. Yeah. And she's like, it's hot to be honest yeah and she's like grabbing one of her own boobs and then like holding a flower over her and like kind of eating it yeah wow i need to look these up i'll show it to you it's the first thing that comes up when you look her up she was really a stunning yeah 
person. <laughs> You're like, hold on, I need my glasses. Need my glasses. <laughs> Wowza. So this was painted by a man. She's obviously like hypersexualized in yeah. this picture for our Patreon subscribers. <laughs> um, but it's like a very like she's in like this silk robe. Yeah. Pretty slutty, to be honest. So the artist who painted that piece, the Lotus Eater, he had it in his personal collection until he died. Um, And then it was sold to a private collector, like, as part of his estate sale. Mm -hmm. And the painter, Vargas, um, was quoted saying that Olive was one of the most beautiful brunettes that Ziegfeld ever glorified. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, the tone of that is kind of weird, I thought. Okay, so... She was famous in her own right, uh-huh. but what she's known for now is being a ghosty. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so despite her death taking place in Paris, the ghost of Olive is often seen at the New, Na- New Amsterdam Theater in New York City, where she began her career as a Ziegfeld girl. Um, and her, her ghost is said to wear a green beaded dress and is clutching a blue bottle, which is the color of the mm-hmm. poison she ingested. And she almost exclusively presents herself to men, which people claim kind of like matches her flirtatious mm-hmm. energy in life. And I had a couple accounts of like people who saw her that I thought were really creepy. So the first is a security guard who worked at the theater, made a frantic phone call to the manager, which this theater is now like owned by Disney. I think the most recent show they did was Aladdin. Mm -hmm. Um, So like a VP of Disney was the manager at the time. He calls her at 2.30 saying he saw a woman in a green beaded dress walking on the stage and carrying a blue bottle. And he yelled, hey, you can't be in here. And she glided right through the wall of the back of the stage. And he was, like, freaking out. Um, Another account said that a group of Disney staffers were sitting in an office in the theater discussing the Oscar-winning film The Artist, which is set in the silent film era. And they were wondering how many of the Follies girls became film stars. And they're, like, talking about this. Mm -hmm. And they mentioned that Olive Thomas was one, but somebody said that the real star of the silent era was Mary Pickford, Jack's sister, who they had a little animosity. And she's like... "Uh." Excuse me? (laughs) And so I guess someone in the room said now maybe Olive got a little, or they said maybe she got a little upset because someone in the room said, I wonder what Olive Thomas would think of the artist, the film. And a stack of 13 or 14 DVDs on the table next to them flew into the air and crashed across the room. And it said like that that had been there forever and there was like no reason that they would have fallen, let alone like they flew like feet into the air. And there were, like, all these people there. It was, like, several uh-huh. witnesses, and they all were just kind of like, what the heck? And they called that manager who was, like, aware of things uh-huh. at the theater, and she was like, well, you know about her ghost, right? You know, and they were all like, Ugh. And then this was another one that was kind of creepy. Uh, so she- Aladdin opened in 2014 in this theater, and there was an audience member that came up to one of the ushers in the middle of the show and asked for a booster seat for her kid. And the usher had said, like, they usually don't, like, interrupt the show to help people. So at mm-hmm. intermission, he brought a booster to this woman, but she already had one. Oh. And he said, where did you get this booster seat? And she said, oh, the lady at the back of the theater, like, gestured to show me where they were, and I just grabbed one myself. And he said, there isn't someone who works, like, the, there isn't a woman who works the back of the house. And he was really creeped out by it, and he was kind of like, 
I'm sorry, what did you say? And then he asked the rest of the staffers and everyone was like, no, I didn't like, cause it wasn't protocol to like right. show someone yeah. where it was. You would mm-hmm. go get it for them. And so it kind of like, he was like, what is up with that woman in the booster? And, um, they kind of thought that it was Olive helping her. Yeah. And there's also like, she has so many fans like of her ghost now uh-huh. that people actually try to like stow away in the theater at night to see her. And they had to come up with like a new protocol for closing so that to they check. like check for people to be in the theater <laughs> yeah. because so many people want to see her. And she most often presents herself to the stage hands, obviously. Um, because a lot of them are men and they're mm-hmm. up on the stage and she's usually there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they see her ghost so often that it's become like a tradition in the theater when you leave to say goodnight, Olive, at the end of the night. That's like a superstition. Yeah. It's really sweet that they all say goodnight to her. I know. I know. And I guess she's kind of like flirty. Yeah. And she like, like acts like she bye owns the place. Bye. And they all <laughs> talked about her like she likes the attention. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense based on yeah. what she sounded like mm-hmm. in life. We interrupt our normal broadcasting for Women Behaving Badly, where we talk about women who are causing a stir. Shaking stuff up. (laughs) I have one. She's not behaving badly. I just was really rooting for Miley Cyrus at the Grammys. Yes, I almost said her. And first of all, fuck the quote fashion people who said her outfit was trash. Yeah, it was so cool. She had so many outfit changes. And the one thing about Miley... Because, you know, I'm a stick. Yeah. One thing about Miley is that sh- most of her, like, really iconic looks, she will, like, pick people to emulate. Yeah. And so people were, like, trashing on her hair and that it was, like, a mistake. But she mm-hmm. was literally, like, mimicking, like, Tina Turner. Yeah. And Dolly Parton. Uh-huh. And, like, these big, big old, old 80s kind of looks that they did. Yeah. I think she nailed it. Yeah. And she really, great. like, costumes. Yes. Instead of, like dressing for like an event yeah and i really hate how so much of the dialogue around like what people wear to these shows ends up being about like was it flattering on them or not it's like this is like she looked amazing yeah she looked amazing and also like i really appreciate when fashion is more of like an art form and less of a it's just you're trying to be pretty yeah i like when people kind of like make a statement yeah with things, which is why I love, and you know, I'm going to say this, and then I'll clarify. I love the Met Gala because it's like, yeah, so there's so many interesting. I I love it in the sense that I like looking at all the fashion. I love obviously rich people. Yeah. It's it just all. I hate the idea. All of the it. shows in general. There's always a little bit of conflict when I'm like, also eat the rich. Yeah, <laughs> but like I do appreciate that about the Met Gala is like people get really creative and weird with it. Yeah. But then when people do that, like the Grammys, they're like, ew, what do you, what were you thinking? Yeah. I'm like, um, <laughs> relax. If yeah. If you wore that to the Met, everybody would have been like, ooh, so interesting. I also feel like. The reason I loved her whole experience at the Grammys Mm -hmm. is, I think, to look at her body of work. Yeah. Just the amount of hits she has written, Mm -hmm. recorded, and released for her to be getting her first Grammy at this stage of her career is almost, like, insane. Yeah. Like, the impact she's had on pop culture Mm -hmm. and on music Mm -hmm. and, like, we talked about Taylor Swift last week. Like, she is a great songwriter. Yeah. She's a great producer. Mm-hmm. Like, I uh, have been a huge fan of her music for a long yeah. time. And she's a great vocalist. And she mm-hmm. wasn't always. Like, she kind of trained, like, yeah. later in her career. And, like, her voice is insane now. Yeah. 
And she has done some of the coolest, like, rock covers. Mm-hmm. I literally, when I got my a new record player for Christmas, the first vinyl I bought, it was Plastic Hearts. Oh, it's so good. It's like one of my all-time favorite albums and in general. I love, I, I really feel like her family was probably a huge influence on this because, like, mm-hmm. her dad, obviously, well, now he's a two-hit wonder, but, <laughs> you know, he was, like, a one-hit wonder, basically, yeah. but he was really well-connected in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And then to have Dolly Parton be, like, a huge yeah. family influence on you, mm-hmm. I think, like, she seems to have, like, such a huge appreciation for old music yeah. and being, like, timeless. Mm-hmm. And, like, when she does looks like she did at the Grammys, I feel like... Feels very true to herself. And sometimes I feel she like people about. aren't ready for her. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, she's being timeless like yeah. when you look back on these like huge stars yeah. they do what she does yeah they're not like going with the grain like mm-hmm. she kind of comes out with like crazy stuff that no one has done before mm-hmm. and people are always so critical of her and i really feel like it's because she has this like trash image from her family from yeah. being from the south mm-hmm. from being a disney star mm-hmm. and i think because she didn't like try really aggressively to like fit this like high art mold Mm -hmm. she still has this kind of like trash image yeah so i feel like if dua lipa wore that outfit right people would be like oh my god yeah whoa yeah and then like miley wears it and it's like oh she's just trash yeah you know Mm -hmm. and i hate that but i just thought the way she accepted her award precious the way she yelled in the middle of her song I just won my first Grammy. I almost cried when she was skipping around. And then she did a Tina Turner reference at the end of her song. Iconic. I actually haven't watched it yet. Oh, it's iconic. I love her. There was also so many beautiful, like, women supporting women moments at the Grammys. Were there any men there? I didn't see them. (laughs) I literally didn't see them. All I saw was the girls. Yeah. So that was nice. Mm Mm-hmm. I did, haven't seen the video yet, though, of Jay-Z, I guess, when he accepted award an award, he, like, called out Beyonce being snubbed. Yeah. Which is fair. Yeah. Because I, I just, love I feel like the general, like, Beyonce's history with awards in general is yeah. just, like, completely not proportionate to what she deserves. Yeah. Agreed. Because talk about art. I mean, everything. Lyrics, music, the vide- videography. Yeah. Like, amazing. cinematic value. The whole also, Lemonade album. Like, <laughs> her um, tour this year was insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one I would have liked to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Justice for Beyonce. hmm And she looked really beautiful with her ble- – she had bleach blonde hair. Mm-hmm. And also Blue Ivy, my – my girl. Your girl, who I you mentioned in the last episode, too. <laughs> she was there and had, like, a really mm-hmm. cool, like, gown on. Yeah. Um, so, love them. I don't really like Jay-Z, because we all know he cheated on Beyonce, and I just feel like, who? Da- who? You can't come back from that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Oh, and I really liked SZA. Mm. Was a little late to accept her award, yeah. and she, like, ran on stage holding mm-hmm. her phone. And then hugged Lizzo. Yeah. And then she started to accept her, her award and then goes, I'm not an attractive crier. Have a good evening. Oh, wow. That would be how I would have to accept an award. <laughs> that was so good. I love SZA. Uh, so anyways, that yeah. those are my, it was just all the women behaving. Yeah. Behaving oh, I do have one. Yes, let's hear it. 
Nikki and Megan. Oh, yeah. So I don't know everything my nail person was telling me about this because every time I go to see my nail person, Jill, she's always like, have you heard about? And then gives me all the goss. And it's actually, it's it's actually pretty horrible because it's like the songs back and forth with their beef. But the person behaving badly, in my opinion, in a legitimate, like, this is bad way is Nikki. Nikki. Because, yeah. of course, just her general defense of sex offenders. <laughs> yeah. But, like absolutely was just completely disrespectful with lyrics in his song towards Megan and her experience with like Megan the Stallion is yeah. what we're talking yeah. about. With like the shooting and you know, all that kind of stallion? stuff. Yeah. I need to like look up the lyrics and maybe I'll come back with a more thorough yeah. investigation. Yeah, I haven't into really it next week, heard about this. It it is honestly just kind of disgusting Nikki's behavior Meg can I call her Meg yeah um she (laughs) respectfully I feel like she just with the whole like shooting thing I it's just like really astounding how people have treated her yeah Mm -hmm. I don't get it yeah like people being like it was just your foot it's like I'm sorry yeah have you been shot anywhere like that doesn't make it okay right and it still makes it terrifying and it was, like, on purpose, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, excuse you? Okay. Let's go back to Olive. Okay. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Yay. Do we think Olive's death was an accident? No. You don't. What's your take? What do you think? I feel like it was either a crime, potentially of passion in the moment, or my other theory is that he told her it was a sleeping thing. Yeah. To get her to take it. Yeah, I could see that. And if she was kind of in the... If she didn't even consider that he would ever want her dead, despite their issues, yeah, then she's not going to tell people, I thought it was a... Like, she's going to say, it was a sleeping thing. I thought it was a sleeping thing. Yeah, but do you think she would have been like, Jack told me it was a sleeping thing? Not if she was already deep in the throes of being so sick. I feel like maybe it wouldn't cross her mind. She might not have remembered. Yeah. I think it could have been an accident, Mm -hmm. but something where, like, I think it might have been an accident on his part. Yeah. And then he never admitted it to people. Right. Yeah. Like, he he was like, I'm going to get you sick, but not... Or, like, he was just, like careless like oh yeah it's it that it's a sleeping just go in the Mm. go in the the cabinet there's a sleeping thing in there yeah and like oh and then she picked up the wrong thing she picked up the wrong thing and then he realized immediately what happened and and just didn't want to yeah i feel like it would have i mean he never got blamed for it it sounds like but like it seems like in that moment it would have been good for him to say i told her there was something in the cabinet i think she got the wrong thing because if i were him i'd be worried that I would get blamed. So I'd be like fully honest and been like, I told her there was a sleeping draft in the cabinet, draft, mm-hmm. drought, whatever, sleeping yeah. pills. I think she grabbed the wrong thing. Yeah. Because then it would just be a much more immediate, like, I don't know, that doesn't necessarily clear you, but I feel like that makes more sense to have done that than to be like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. You know? Or it could have been an accident. Like if she did have a drug problem, they yeah. clearly were both like heavy drinkers and I would mm-hmm. say probably did. Dabble yeah, with the drugs. But it was liquid, right? Yeah, but I could see like if you kind of had a problem, right? You're going just back at night, and you're just kind of like, "What can anything. fuck me up a little more?" Yeah, I could see that being an accident where you like maybe think there's like something that would like yeah be a pharmaceutical 
Which you know, is still just in general. I mean, I like robo tripping. <laughs> you know like what I mean? A, a, and then being like, oh shit, this is burning my insides. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Which just like mixing drugs in general is so scary. So scary. One thing, I think, I'm pretty sure it was like someone at my, at Riley's school, at my sister's school, the principal's wife or something took like something simple like Advil with the wrong drug and passed oh, yeah. away. Yeah. Like stuff like that happens way you really too have frequently. To be careful. Which I mean we know a lot of a lot more about drug interactions now. Yeah, you can Google yeah. drug there's entire websites right. dedicated yeah. to drug interactions. Right. I know not to have like grapefruit with <laughs> yeah. well I don't think I'm on any drugs right now that you can't but for a while I was. Yeah. Just like silly things like that that can be really disastrous. They can be really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that I feel like it could have been any number of things, but I don't feel like anyone ever got the full story. Yeah. And I think that's often true. I also think that Jack's family member that was there with them mm-hmm. was covering for him. Yeah. I think he knows what happened and was covering mm-hmm. for him just because they were so well known for fighting when they got drunk. And yeah. like, who doesn't know the couple that like every time they get drunk, they start fighting. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why would you lie? Yeah. Like, even say, like, oh, yeah, like, they were known for getting in fights, but I don't think anything happened. Like, it just seemed like they were all trying so hard to keep his image squeaky Mm -hmm. clean. And then I also read something that he, like, when they were taking her body back to the States on a ship, like, he had to accompany her body. Yeah. And, like, almost jumped overboard. Like, he almost killed himself. And then decided against it. Jack. Mm. Yeah. Which could either be a sign of guilt or a sign of sadness. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or a mix of both. Both. And, like, they just... All the accounts of them kind of, in my mind, create this image of, like, I'm sure they really loved each other Mm -hmm. and had, like, the most toxic, fucked up relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I kind of feel like something... like weird happened yeah and like him there was just a weird vibe about him being like oh i was at her bedside it's like yeah no fucking shit you're her husband you better be like why are you like wanting people to applaud you like yeah obviously you're at her bedside Mm -hmm. it's the least you can do yeah anyways you know and Mm -hmm. and like it's weird to like make a statement i i think because maybe it was like considered the first hollywood scandal like maybe the pr training wasn't as good right because nowadays it's like, I don't think you would respond in the way he no. responded. I yeah. think you would have a little bit better of a PR team that mm-hmm. might say like, oh yeah, if you get too like, oh, I was such a good husband while my wife was dying and I might have maybe accidentally poisoned her. Yeah, immediately um, suspicious. Immediately suspicious. Yeah. So like, maybe it's just that and he didn't, you know, mm-hmm. really understand how that would come off. I also think like, it just looks bad that like his whole family hated her. Yeah. You know, and like neither of their families were at their wedding. Like obviously they weren't really like supported you know shady Mm -hmm. it's like when i always think like people know what happened you know when people die mysteriously someone knows unless they were completely alone Mm -hmm. someone knows what happened like bob saget is that his name yeah he was completely alone they eventually found out what happened but it's like okay that's a situation where like no one knows what happened yeah complete mystery but like when people are around someone knows um Often like several people the three guys who died in the backyard recently excuse me uh so there's the other goss that my nail person told me was that there is this case like there was these three guys over at a friend's house watching a football game and it was freezing like re- a recent game and it was freezing cold and like one of the girlfriends or something didn't hear from her boyfriend for a couple days 
And so she finally went over to this house where she knew they had been and all the cars were still there. And she ends up having to like break in because nobody's answering. Imagine walking into that. And they're in the backyard, frozen to death. One's like sitting in a chair still. The fourth friend, the person who, like, was renting, lives in the house, is inside, tells the police basically when everything happens that he'd just been sleeping for the last two days and he thought everybody had left. But their cars are outside. So even if he glanced at the window. Also, you're sleeping for two days. For two days. You didn't even, like, glance accidentally out the backyard to see three bodies in your backyard or the cars in their front yard. It's like... And I don't know if there – I need to look up to see if there's been any additional – Like if they had drugs in their system. Yeah, because there wasn't anything, they wouldn't have realized any they information were, about that. Prefer. Let me look it up real quick. So it still hasn't been switched to a homicide investigation, it looks like. Yeah, three men were found outside the friend's house on January 9th, two days after they went to catch a Chiefs football game at a friend's house. Wow. A fiancé came and found them toxicology report hasn't been publicly released yikes yeah um but apparently like no foul play has been observed or suspected which has to be bullshit renter is unaware how of how his friends died and was anxiously awaiting the results of the autopsy and toxicology report i guess the only thing i could think of that might excuse him is like if his backyard was like something where it's like not really visible from the house. Like some people like have like your backyard. You sure. can't really like see it very but well. But the cars were also in the front yard. But I wonder like how many times have like I just had a party at my house. Yeah. And there was two people's cars True. on my street for they days. Ubered. Yeah. Like but one of our friend's like- car was on my street for like two days, three days. Yeah. But they were like, it's like even if you were drunk, like really drunk. Wouldn't you remember? Well, no, no them, but them, the the guys who died. Yeah. Like, you're just in the backyard, no, it staying had no out drugs. there. Because if like, you were really drunk, you wouldn't. Well, even, I mean, I, I mean, if you were really, really, really drugged, yeah. But even, like, at some point, even, like, if you're under the influence of something, you're still going to, like, realize I, you're, you're dying freezing to cold. death. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you fell asleep. Yeah. That happened to one of my friends once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That actually was kind of, not com- common is the wrong word, mm-hmm. but it happened more than once in Erie. I remember you college telling students me that. who would pass out in the snow and mm-hmm. freeze to death. So, like, if you pass out, but it's that there's three of them. Yeah, three of them. And one's like sitting upright in a chair. Like, he'd been like, yeah. But you can pass out like that. Sure. But, like, it's still weird. Something's off. Something's there. off. I think it's a homicide or. Someone drugged them so much because I I just or like they all accidentally did too much. Yeah, but I that's what I can't believe is that three people who I think like it was saying they don't regularly do drugs drugs like which obviously you know they might not know and they might not know but I just it's like I just feel like that's way too coincidental. Also, I feel like football is not like. That's not a dr- that's a drinking sport. Exactly. It's, it's not, not a really drugs. Some, it's not an event where you like get together to watch a football game with your buddies and Right. Like, what if we tried a new drug? Yeah. <laughs> and then go outside where it is below freezing. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah, weird. That's the last of my goss for the week. What do, do you think her ghost is in the theater? Well, duh. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Just I think my answer is almost always going to be yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> of course. I mean, obviously there's like with the, we were talking about the triangle shirtwaist factory and how people are like saying there's ghosts, but it's like, yeah. you know, a tourism kind of thing. Like I do think with the theater, it could be like the way they were like quoting stuff. It's like, I do think they could play it up a little. Yeah. Definitely. Like they said, people are coming to the theater right. to see her ghost. Yeah. Like hotels do that a lot. Yeah. Not necessarily that the ghost doesn't exist, but they dramatize it a little bit. Maybe yeah. about the frequency of her visits or yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. But I do think the stagehand seeing her was That's kind of yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. And that she always looks the same. Yeah. Kind of creepy. Kind of creepy. I, I want to see the other pictures of her. She was really beautiful. She kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of um, How to Be a Party Girl. Yes. I can't remember what Patricia was. Yeah. I think it was like episode three or five. That was one of our very first episodes. Yeah. I do think it's interesting that like you know, we both thought he seemed so guilty, mm-hmm. but like a lot of people jumped to her committing suicide. Oh, interesting. I thought that was curious. Yeah. That that was like what most of the papers mm-hmm. were printing that, oh, she. And I think that's because she was kind of this like chaotic energy. Yeah. You know. Small lips matter. <laughs> that's what the first thing I saw. Like one, I feel like I would have done pretty well back in the day <laughs> with my small mouth and my big eyes. I'm like, mm, maybe I could have been pretty hot I think you do then. pretty well now. <laughs> but it's just like like this picture like with her like like thinner lips you know and to like today that's just so not what's considered i think it's coming back super attractive i hope so everybody's taking out their lip fillers and stuff not that big lips are bad but just like natural is better like yeah i think we've forgotten how many people just have like thin lips yeah we both go (laughs) i don't think either of us have like super thin lips but no I think I have normal, yeah, normal lips. Yeah, never really worried about it. Mm-hmm. They're not huge. I used to, I used to be really self conscious about my lips and how thin they were. Mine are normal. I think mm-hmm. we have the same size. I think mm-hmm. I feel like my the thing people always say is like when you talk or smile that your top lip kind of goes in, and it's like yeah, that's how a lip works. Yeah. <laughs> are we all forgetting? Yeah, and like. I don't care what procedures people do to feel beautiful, but like lip flips and stuff, it's like you literally can't use your lip properly. Yeah. Yeah. It tucks under because that's how it works. That's how your face works. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Why are we so against just like how a face works? Yeah. I don't know. Like not being able to move it because of Botox. Yeah. I always like talk about how like I feel like I'm just so like my face moves so much. But it's like because we don't have Botox, which like I've thought about getting Botox, and sure. I have friends who have Botox, and I think it looks amazing. Sure, I do. I think also think a lot of people overdo it. I think I think a lot of people overdo it, and I think the whole preventative Botox is kind of bullshit. Oh, it's marketing. Yeah, it's marketing. A hundred percent, it's marketing. I literally did marketing for one of those places. Yeah, it's made up mm-hmm. because the thing is, when you get wrinkles, you can get Botox. Like it doesn't really make a difference. It gets rid of your wrinkles anyways. There's treatments as you get older. You don't Mm -hmm. need that stuff when you're young. It's very much like this Mm -hmm. aesthetic thing. Yeah. And it's so weird. Like, it's making everyone's face kind of look the same, but, like, not exactly human. Yeah, and I – it's like – and I also think – I feel more that way about filler than Botox. Yeah, I also feel – I have a theory that, like, a lot of, like, especially younger folks on TikTok start – 
really trying to make sure their face, even if they don't have Botox, they really work to make their face not move. Like if not they're doing expressive. a lip syncing yeah. video, they're like, yeah, yeah you know, one true. eyebrow. And I'm like, there's no way that's normal for your face to not move like that. <laughs> yeah. There was also this trend for a while that I actually still see, particularly with people who do makeup videos and lip sync during them. And there's one who she is an incredible makeup artist. I mean, she is phenomenal like does like costume really kind Mm -hmm. of creative stuff but she lip syncs to everything and when she does it's like (laughs) like not even moving. like to make her tongue show no it's specifically the tongue she's like weird i'm like that's not where your tongue should go to make that sound i'll have to send one to you it it is probably one of my biggest pet peeves on social media ever is like lip syncing in a way that is not actually how you would be moving your mouth. And I finally like felt validated because I saw someone in the comments just say, what are you doing with your tongue? (laughs) And I was like, I'm not going to be the one to say it. Like, I'm not going to comment on someone's video, but at least I know I'm not going insane. (laughs) I, yeah. You don't need it. Anything else to chat about with Olive? I love a ghosty. I do love a ghosty. It's been a while. Yeah. And she sounded cool. I really liked her. Mm -hmm. And I like that we have so much information on her. A lot of, I feel like, female ghosts is very much like people just talk only about the ghosts, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's one I want to do that's like, there's nothing known about her. And and it's like all the stories are of her husband who like built a hotel in in, in honor of their love after she died and stuff. A hotel? Something like that. Kind of a weird thing to build in honor of your love. Yeah, don't build a hotel. What would you want somebody to do in honor of their love for you? Like, if they were to build something. I would want a giant statue of me, but, like, the birth of Venus Yeah, I would want someone to release my (laughs) nudes. (laughs) You would want that? Obviously. Yeah. I don't know if I would want that. But I would want them to commission a giant statue. Or maybe, yeah, like, do some art. And like the birth make of my Venus just like one cup size bigger. <laughs> make my butt just one, just one like inch more sticking outy. <laughs> An inch, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I would still be a very normal sized booty if it was just an inch. What? Yeah. Hmm. I don't have a big booty. Yeah, but an inch is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> do you think? Um, it would it would take a lot to have a booty. <laughs> do you think you measure your butt cheeks in bowl size? Bowl size? Yeah, I will now. Like, what size mixing bowl? You Instead know, the sets of, of three. Size. Mine's just a plate. Because <laughs> there's, there's cup size for your boobs. And yeah. For your butt, it's bowl size. And also plates for me. No, Maggie. Just a plate with a little curve. That's not true. I've seen your butt. I know what it looks sure. like. Okay, where to find us? Up Instagram. my bum. <laughs> Uh, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at madwomaninthattic.pod. Yeah. You can find us on our website at madwomaninthattic.com. And you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash madwomaninthattic.pod. Yeah, baby. That was the best one yet. Only took me 18 episodes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Join our Patreon. Please join our so Patreon. So we can afford to pay someone to edit. We have one missing video and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, y'all aren't, you know, sorry, Dan in particular. He was the one who voiced being bummed about not getting the video for the vibrator episode. But yes, um, yeah, you're not going to get it. I'm just decided. I, I have made an executive decision to never let that see the light of day for the 
basically the last 25% of it. Sorry. Because the... God. Which the funny part of that was I had completely misread a text message that Maggie sent me warning me that the color... Yeah, this is women in STEM. (laughs) That the color was off. And I don't know why, like, I wasn't really... I was, like, getting ready for a meeting when you texted me that. Mm -hmm. And I just was not doing my best Mm -hmm. reading or thinking. And I... It was, like, the text message she sent me was, like... Just a heads up. It's super exposed, but I think I can it's fix really it. It's really overexposed, but I'm going to fix it after you give me edits. I read it as, oh, I can do all this cool editing in Premiere Pro. Because I, I did made say it look that amazing. also. And then I hand you this video and you're like... And I open it and I'm like, me and Maggie have worked together at two full-time jobs. We work together at the podcast. Like, I know your editing style. I know mm-hmm. your, like, artistic eye. Mm-hmm. And I often agree with you. So, like, I, it's you're not a person where I would be like, oh, we just have different editing styles. Right. And I open this video and I'm not kidding. My face is, like, 100% exposure. Like, it's, like, the maximum exposure you can possibly have. You literally can't even see my face. And I send you this text message that is, like... Um, hey, Maggie, I think that maybe I'm a little overexposed in the video. Trying to be so nice, because I was just like, oh, no, Maggie fell and hit her head. (laughs) (laughs) And I was trying to be so nice, and you were like, per my last email, (laughs) bitch. (laughs) And it was, and then I went back and read it and was like, oh, so I'm just, I can't read. I'm dumb, and I'm sorry. I didn't read that, so that was funny. But then when I actually went to go edit it, turns out that Apple phone, like, videos, HDR, isn't compatible with Adobe, which is such a failure on both Apple and Adobe's part. Everybody's blaming Apple. Adobe should have figured out how to make this work by now. And so it, like, it looks great in preview, and then I export it, and it's hyper-exposed. Like, all the way. Like, all the... And there is no way I got a good chunk of it fixed, but we recorded at night. And so the first half, the lighting was decent enough to where I could salvage it. It was like daytime lighting. It was daytime lighting. I just had to kind of darken it a little bit. Like it's not great, but like it's doable. Mm -hmm. The, then like the, like 10% of it, you can tell the lights going down. It's a little bit harder, so it looks like there's a filter over part of it. And then the last part, when it got dark outside, nothing I could do could make Sarah's face looked like she wasn't a ghost. I turned the white all the way down. I turned yeah. the exposure all the way down. Like, there was nothing I could do to make it, that like, glow hurt your eyes. go away. And so I, like, finally, like, switched it to black and white with the intent of, like, okay, at least it will be like this if we put it on Patreon. We just gave up. I'm not putting it on Patreon. Yeah. But there was nothing I could do because of how poor the lighting was in the original video because of it got dark yeah so the quality was bad yeah like when the light changes Mm -hmm. throughout the recording it's a little rough so that that was was women in stem and when i tell you that that has made me cry more than any other editing issue yeah but it's okay we figured it out now by me i figured it out yeah and and just by not publishing it but we got at least enough for social anyway yeah that's that on that that's that on this that. This has been Women in STEM. All right. Ho, 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 ho. Bye. Bye. Love ya. Bye.